Well, we have come to the season of Lent. We finished up our series on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, now we come into this time of reflection, a time of preparation, uh, and we're preparing for a celebration, a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You might say that Lent is a season of grief to comfort, as God comforts us in the assurance that we too will be raised by the power of his glory from death in Jesus Christ. It's a time of reflection, a time of repentance, and a time of preparation. And so, as we go into this time, uh, we'll have a sermon series on Lent. Uh, Today, our passage will focus on repentance, um, how we can prepare ourselves for that repentance. Uh, Before we read God's word, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, help us as we hear your word today. Help us to know how you would have us live so that we might glorify you. Help us to know you more, Lord, to know your beauty, to know your glory, and the wonders of our Savior Jesus Christ and our salvation. You have promised that your word is a lamp unto our feet. And so show us today how we ought to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage today is from 2 Corinthians, starting with chapter 7, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. Hear the word of God. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Here ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and applicable word. Thanks be to God. We know from Scripture that Paul has an ongoing relationship with the church in Corinth. The book of Acts tells us that Paul uh, spent a considerable amount of time at Corinth. 
We know that uh, through the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul was responding to questions that the church in Corinth had, questions about morality, and that Paul was correcting them. He was sending them moral advice based on the Word of God on how they should live their life and correct uh, the problems that they were experiencing. He taught them about the resurrection of Christ. Paul had a, a pastoral relationship with the church in Corinth, and he cared about this church. Here in the second letter uh, to the Corinthians, we see that there was actually another letter, a tearful letter of correction that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, there was apparently some sort of trouble, some sort of rejection of Paul's authority on one of his visits. And instead of Paul visiting again to relive this pain, to spare them grief, he writes them this tearful letter. We know from our passage today that this tearful letter had a positive effect. And through all of this, we can see Paul's care and his commitment to the Corinthians. And we can see that the Corinthians submit themselves to Paul's teaching after the correction. They go from careless to careful because of this correction. In our passage today, we can see that sin causes grief. But godly grief, although a bitter pill, leads to the sweet fruit of repentance, turning to God and the glory of eternal life and salvation. We would do well to pause for one moment to consider what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about repentance. Question 85 asks, what does God require of us that we may escape God's wrath and curse due to us for sin? Faith in Jesus Christ is number one. But next is repentance unto life. Repentance unto life. Question 87 says, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace, a grace of God, whereby the sinner is aware, is made aware of the grievous nature of their sin. And out of that pain, they turn to God. They turn to God with a new heart, with a new commitment, a new resolve to endeavor after the ways of God. Repentance unto life is a sweet fruit indeed. In our passage today, we see that there are two ways in which sin causes grief. We see two griefs, and we see godly repentance, which yields godly fruit. Two ways in which sin causes grief. Two griefs which Paul outlines, and a godly repentance, which leads to godly fruit. Verse 8 says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you. There's a lot of grieving and grief going on in this first verse. Sin causes grief, okay? It's very clear. There is a sin in the midst of the congregation. And because of that sin, there is grief. Now, there are two ways in which sin causes grief in our passage. The knowledge of sin causes grief. That's the first way. The knowledge of our sin causes grief. First, the sin in the midst of the congregation, this rebellion and rejection of Paul's authority, 
caused grief for Paul and the congregation. Now, let's take a minute to understand what it means to reject Paul's authority. Remember who Paul is. This is the Apostle Paul who received his ministry from Jesus Christ himself. This is Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, who is pastoring this church. This is Paul who speaks, and that word was recorded in Scripture, the very word of God. And so a rejection of Paul's authority is really a rejection of Christ's authority. And so that's a problem. That's a problem that causes grief. So Paul is writing to correct this rejection of the authority of Scripture. But Paul's also calling or writing because of the lackadaisical response that this congregation had. Here in their midst are brothers and sisters who are rejecting the authority of Scripture, and yet they were slow to respond. And so Paul is writing to correct this as well. And as the congregation comes to know of this grief, they too, or this sin, they too are grieved. So we see that the knowledge of sin causes Paul grief, which is why he writes this tearful letter. But the knowledge of sin also causes the congregation grief. Oftentimes, we have a hard time seeing or understanding the effects of our sin until somebody points it out to us. Now, the church in Corinth had Paul writing letters to them. They had Paul visiting in person. And Paul doesn't go around visiting churches anymore. He's not writing any more letters. But we do have 13 letters that Paul wrote. And those letters are not to anyone in particular in this room, but those letters are for everyone in this room. Because those are the very words of God, the truth of Scripture. And as we read the truth of Scripture, we are corrected as we submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. Our sin causes grief, and we know of that sin when we read the Word of God when we submit ourselves to the authority of God. And so we can start to see now that correction of our sin, that causes grief as well. Paul understood that this tearful letter that he wrote to the Corinthians would cause grief. And you know, he didn't know what the effect was going to be. He knew the correction was going to cause grief, but after that, he didn't know, right? He said, I did not, he says, I do not regret it now, but he did regret it when he didn't know the outcome, when he wasn't sure. But the one thing he was sure was that the correction of that sin would cause grief, would cause some kind of pain, would cause some kind of sorrow. But he wrote the letter anyway. He wrote the letter anyway because he knew of the potential for healing as a congregation was corrected. It's an intentional injury caused for healing. Now, a surgeon might understand this concept well. What does a surgeon do but apply intentional injury to human flesh with the hopes of healing? 
as a surgeon cuts out diseased flesh, as a surgeon removes an offending member of the body in an attempt to make the body whole again so that the patient might heal and be well to remove the malady. But a cut with a scalpel is an injury. It causes damage to human flesh. But there's good intention behind it, the intention of healing. Is not our Lord the great physician? Does not our Lord wield a scalpel that is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between bone and marrow? Paul may not be writing letters anymore, but the word of God is living and active and lays bare all our sins. It's an intentional injury because it causes pain. But God has a plan for that grief. God has a plan for that sorrow that we might be built up better than before in the image of Christ. David says in Psalm 51 that you broke my bones, but let these broken bones rejoice. God broke David's figurative bones, broke his stony heart that he might be healed by the great physician, our Lord. There's two ways that sin causes grief here, and that grief hurts. Sorrow is a real thing. Pain is a real thing. But there are two different kinds of griefs that Paul outlines here. He says there is godly grief and there is worldly grief. Verse 10, Paul says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads unto salvation. Godly or worldly grief produces death. These two phrases seem very similar. Godly grief produces. Worldly grief produces. In fact, it looks like the only change in English is godly and worldly. But in the Greek, there is a preposition that's hidden by our translations, and it's not an intentional uh, you know, malicious attempt to, to mislead you. This is a good translation, but there's a preposition that's missing when he says godly grief produces. That's missing in worldly grief. Godly grief is grief that is experienced according to God. It's experienced in the way that God intends us to experience grief. So we might even say that the, the source of that grief can be the same. It can be the same sin even. But how that grief is experienced, whether according to God or not, is what defines it. Godly grief is grief the way God intends the Christian to experience it. And that produces repentance. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. 
It's on the path to salvation. We could see this as we speak to Christians who have experienced real grief, who have experienced real sorrow, and as they look back on their experience, they'll say, you know, I would not want to experience that again. It was truly horrible, but I'm thankful for what I've been through. I'm thankful because now I'm closer to my God. Now I understand his mercies. Now I understand his great power and his great purpose more than ever before because now I'm shaped more to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was meek and lowly and humble. Godly grief produces humility. Worldly grief doesn't lead to the same thing. We may experience the same grief from the same sin, but worldly grief hardens hearts. Worldly grief creates bitterness and despair. And there's no redemption in those things. It only leads to death. So you see, we have godly grief and worldly grief. The thing about the bitter pill of grief is that we have to keep taking it. It's like a prescription, an antibiotic prescription, where you've got to finish out the prescription or, or who knows what will happen. But we must keep taking this pill over and over again. I don't think I know anyone who has repented one time of their sin and the rest of their life has been hunky-dory, never having to deal with sin again. But time and time again, we may fall, we may slip, but God has us in his hand. And so time and time again, that grief that comes from our sin turns us to repent back to God. And as we take that pill, we are shaped again and again to bear the fruit of repentance. To bear the fruit, the sweet fruit of repentance. Just look to the book of Judges. You know, as, as Israel did what was right in their own eyes, God allowed the nations to come in and oppress them. And as that oppression became so great, as their grief increased, where did they turn to? But they cried out to God. And there was God providing judges to deliver his people. And it didn't happen once. It happened again and again and again. Our hearts are not fully changed until that day when we stand face to face with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in glory. And until that day, God is working in our hearts through everything good and bad to prepare us for glory. There's two griefs. Might also say that there are two repentances. Paul says a godly grief produces a repentance. Well, we could infer that Worldly grief produces a repentance as well. Remember, pain causes us to, to stop doing what we're doing and to do something else. Godly grief turns us from our sin to God. Whereas worldly grief causes us to turn from sin to sin. That's why it doesn't lead to eternal life. Now, it may cause us to turn from a greater sin to a lesser sin, but there's no redemption in that grief. 
There's no redemption in that sorrow unless we turn to God, unless we rend our hearts and turn to God, trusting in him for our salvation. Remember, repentance unto life is a saving grace of God. It's not a work, but a grace. So we've seen that sin causes grief in at least two ways, that there are two griefs and maybe even two repentances, and now that godly repentance produces godly fruit. Verse 11, Paul says, See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Earnestness is the first fruit of godly grief. Earnestness. A, a unique commitment to endeavor. They've gone from the earnestness in the things of this world to the earnestness, the authority of Scripture. They're eager to walk in God's ways. They're eager to do as Paul has corrected them to do. And because of this, they wish to provide an eager defense. Paul has laid some serious charges of sin at their feet, and they're eager to provide a defense. No longer are we these people who ignored the sin in our midst. No longer are we these people who are slow to react when our brothers and sisters reject the truth and authority of Scripture. But now, look at our actions. Look at our defense. We have changed hearts and those changed hearts have led to changed actions. This is our eager defense. It says, look at your indignation, right? Now the Corinthians look at their sin and see it for what it is. It's no longer sweet, but sickly. They look at their sin and see it for the death that it is. And they're repulsed by it. That's their indignation. How could this sin be in our midst? Look at the fear in your lives. Fear of what? Well, fear of God, for sure. But fear of what could have been as well. Fear of what could have been if the sin had remained in their midst. If they had remained outside of the authority of Scripture. If they had failed to correct their brothers and sisters. For they know that Satan is a murderer, that Satan prowls and seeks to devour and destroy. So if you, as if you took a left-hand turn, maybe a little too quickly, into oncoming traffic, and maybe somebody even honks their horn at you. You shouldn't have done that. That was too close. And as you're driving down the road, you think, thankful to be driving down this road instead of in a car wreck at that intersection. And you get this sense of fear, fear over what could have been, of the destruction that sin could have brought into the lives of this congregation. What longing? You know, the problem was that the Corinthians were not submitting themselves to the authority of Scripture, to the authority of Paul. 
right? And so as they were rejecting the authority of Scripture, they're rejecting the gospel. They didn't have a taste for the good things of God. You know, the gospel is an acquired taste. It really is. Paul says that the gospel is the fragrance of death to those who are not saved, but a fragrance of life to life to those who are. Why are they longing after Paul now? Because now they recognize the sweet aroma of Christ as Paul preaches the gospel, as Paul teaches them to walk in the ways of Scripture. And so, because of their new acquired taste, because they have repented of their sin and turned to God, they have a taste for the things of God. And Paul has about him the aroma of Christ. And so they seek him out now, longing to see him. Paul says, what zeal, what punishment. Early in the letter, Paul says, you've corrected the sinners in your midst enough. Forgive them. Welcome them back in. And if you've forgiven them, I've forgiven them. Paul says, I have seen what you've done. You almost get the sense that maybe they've corrected too harshly. But what does Paul say? He says, this is a defense. This is a defense. You have turned to God in Christ because your sins were made known to you. And because of that, you are forgiven. How outstanding is that? That their actions of the past are covered over by the blood of Christ. And now, Paul says, You've proven yourselves innocent in the matter. All things forgiven are the blood of Christ. Innocent in the matter. These are the godly fruits of godly repentance which comes from grief, which comes from sin. You see the progression. Sin causes grief, godly grief, the way God intends us to experience it turns us to repentance. And repentance bears godly fruit. And because of these fruits, Paul is comforted. You see, we've moved from grief to comfort. That's what he says in verse 13. Therefore, because of all these things, therefore, we are comforted. Grief to comfort. Brothers and sisters, is this not the fingerprint of God? As we look at the whole of Scripture, is this not the fingerprint of God? Grief from the fall of Adam, where his sin separated all of mankind from a good and faithful God to comfort in the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus Christ comes again and his people stand face to face with their Lord as we will worship our God perfect and holy in his image. Grief to comfort. Do we not see the fingerprint of God from grief to comfort even in the very life of Jesus Christ? As he was born low, as he entered into his own creation under the law, as he lived his life and worked his ministry amongst mocking, against the rebuke, of the religious leaders of the day, all the people that he came 
to tell of the kingdom of God. He faced rejection. And the grief of the cross, where Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, became sin and suffered the whole wrath of God on our behalf, on all who believe in him. And the grief of the spilling of his blood for our sin to the great comfort of his resurrection and his ascension into heaven where he reigns even now at the right hand of the Father. From grief to comfort. This is the fingerprint of God. Brothers and sisters, sin causes grief. But when we experience grief as God intends it, as we submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture, as we rend our hearts and change our ways and walk in the ways that God calls us to walk through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are moved from grief to comfort, the comfort of salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ and eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, in all of our griefs and troubles of this world, let us know that you are the author of all things and that even our pain and sorrow you hold in your hand and that you purpose all things for the good of your people. We give you thanks, Lord, for the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, for his perfect life, for his perfect death. We lift up our hearts to you, for we know that you are a good and faithful God and will change us to bear godly fruit to eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Having heard the good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, let us stand and affirm what we believe. Christians, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven.